0: Hello and welcome to this podcast of Family Law in the UK. I'm Natasha Slavas and presenting today, and I'm warmly welcoming our new recruit at DMH Stanard, Ella Wellesby, who has joined over the last couple of months in our family team. She brings a wealth of experience and she's got lots of uh, family background in prenuptial agreements, postnuptial agreements financial remedies arising from divorce, children work as well. So today's focus is going to actually be on prenuptial agreements. Um, it's a topic that's quite hot um, of the press at the moment because we've seen a real rise in reported cases of the last sort of one or two years where it's evident that judges are more and more inclined to upholding these types of agreements. Um, they all started, didn't they, Ella, from Radmacher and Granitino in 2010, which seems like a long, long time ago now. Um, but um, I think I'll hand over to Ella, who was going to talk a bit about one particular case, which was in the High Court. Mr Justice Moore was the judge, and it's MN and AN. So, Ella, if you want to just elaborate more on your background and then talk a bit about that case.
1: Natasha, thank you so much for such a lovely welcome. It is a pleasure to be here uh, at DMH, and it's been a fantastic start and an absolute honour to be on your wonderful podcast as well, talking about, as you say, this hot topic of prenups. And I was unfortunately unable to convince the cast of Made in Chelsea, Jamie Leng and Sophie Haboo, who recently married to enter into one. But we will continue the conversation, and given... The recent case law that we've seen, there does seem to be a hardening in terms of um, prenups will be upheld if the valid circumstances have been met. And amazingly, I know Radmacher is such a long time ago now, it seems ancient history. And off the back of that case, we had a period of not confusion, but maybe uncertainty about which prenups would be unheld. So the case of MN and AN, which was earlier this year, is actually the first case where a prenup has been upheld in full against a wife, which is really quite astonishing, given what we're now 13 years down the line. And we'll touch on another case, HD and WB, a little later, which was was actually put in place before Radmacher. So it's an interesting one for those cases that we deal with where we've got a prenup, it's pre-Radmacher, how is the judge going to see that? Um, we can also have a brief discussion of that one as well, but just for um, a quick refresher in terms of the ideal circumstances for a prenup to be upheld, I was going to run through the list really quickly for everyone's benefit. um, obviously freely entered into, and we'll touch on what without undue pressure or influence means. And the keyword there is obviously undue, um, case law has proven that if one party says, look, I'm not marrying without a prenup, you'd think, well, that is quite a punchy sentence, but it's not going to count as undue pressure or influence. So it's absolutely fine to maintain that position. In terms of the other circumstances, obviously it needs to be fair when it's entered into, and we'll talk about the parameters of fairness, and it also needs to remain fair at the point of divorce. It needs to be signed at least 28 days before the wedding, but we'll see... In the case of hd and wb which we'll come on to that wasn't the case there prenup was signed on the day of the wedding so again it's not necessarily a fatal factor if any of these weren't in play but the more you have of them um, the stronger the likelihood of the prenup being upheld especially in light of recent case law and then the exchange of financial disclosure the negotiation of appropriate terms and how long that negotiation takes And finally, obviously, the need for legal advice. And I like to play a tragic game of how could I avoid a prenup if somebody wanted me to enter into one? Um, And that game has become harder to win now because we'll see that quite a few of the loopholes have closed. So if you pretend you've had legal advice or you hold out as if you have, or you've had the opportunity to take legal advice and you've decided you don't want to, then you can't use it as a get out of jail free card and actually when things go down the tube, say, oh, well, I didn't get legal advice. It's not going to help you out, um, as we will see. But coming on to kind of the main order of events today, um, the case of MN and AN, Moore's judgment, as you touched on. And it will be interesting um, to understand how many people have read the judgment in full. It's quite a long one, but it's quite a good one. There are some twists and turns along the way. Um, But here, wife was arguing um, that she shouldn't be held to the prenup. Um, And as mentioned, husband was completely successful in terms of this was fully upheld. And just to give everybody a quick summary of the facts, husband was 61, successful investor. Wife was 51 and she'd been a homemaker. They married in 2005. So here we are stretching back pre-Radmacher. Then husband was 44, it was his second marriage, which is a key factor because he was really clear in terms of saying, I'm never getting married again. He'd had a nasty divorce, he had grown up children and he made it very clear to the wife that marriage was only going to happen if they had a prenuptial agreement. So wife, she was 33 when she married. She hadn't been married before, she didn't have any children Um, but she understood that this was the condition of the marriage. They'd met two years previously in 2003, and they'd had a bit of a brief break. Um, They started cohabiting in 2004, and by the time they got divorced, they had children aged 14 and 15. Um, And before the marriage, husband had purchased a lovely townhouse that went into his sole name. And he stressed further that that would become the family home, but it was to be covered off in the prenup. So when the prenup was entered into, husband was worth about 32 and a half million and wife had the sum total of £62,000 in her name. So again, one of the cases that we see quite commonly is where there's that great disparity in terms of respective parties' assets, really opportune times to put a prenup in place and no nobody can kind of pull a blinder and have a prenup that's upheld that provides for something completely unfair and as we know that's one of the misconceptions about prenups you can't kind of make yourself immune from the matrimonial causes act and the section 25 factors but it's about narrowing the parameters and for both parties having that certainty that I mean it may be towards the lower end so you avoid that acrimony in terms of the potentially very stressful and expensive battle on divorce, you both know roughly what the outcome is likely to be. So under this prenup, wife was to receive £500,000 a year throughout the marriage, and that went up to a maximum of £12.5 And she would also receive 50% of the family home if the parties reached the 8th anniversary of the agreement, or if the parties had children. So even though that was purchased in husband's sole name, she was always going to have an interest if they could meet that threshold. So husband wanted to cap any total wife received at 42% of his net worth on divorce. And she was also going to receive £60,000 a year in child maintenance, and that was to be CPI-linked, and husband would pay school and medical fees. And they also had a sunset clause. So after 25 years, the prenup would fall away. Now, sadly, the marriage only lasted 14 years. And at that point, husband's net worth was 44 million. And wife had accrued about 600,000 pounds in assets in her own name. And mostly that was from gifts from husband. But at this point, wife was seeking to argue that prenup was pre-radmacker, she hadn't received sufficient legal advice and she was also running a coercive control and financial abuse argument. Now husband was looking to enforce the prenup in full, uh, but to avoid any proceedings, he offered wife seven million pounds as a lump sum and he said that the wife and children could remain in the family home in London until 2030 so as not to disrupt the children's education and the proceeds of that property would then be divided. He was um, generous in terms of his alternative thinking because he also offered to sell the family home and give wife 11.5 million off the bat. But wife continued to refuse. And at that point, husband went back to the drawing board and sweetened his offer further. Um, But wife rejected that and maintained that she should receive 18 million, which would be about 40% of the total assets. But ultimately, wife received 26% of the total assets. So that included a £7 million Duxbury fund and a £4.75 million housing fund. And the judge pointed out in terms of the exceptional legal advice that they'd had from both of their respective solicitors and the fact that this prenup had been drafted, I think it was a grand total of five times. So they really had gone back and forth in terms of the applicable provisions. And the judge um, Justice Moore ran us through the two-limb applicability test. So in the first instance, were there any circumstances to exclude or reduce the weight attached to the prenup? And the judge considered all the facts of this case and decided that there were not. They couldn't find any evidence of coercive control, um, so that fell away. And the second limb of the test, does the prenup provide for a fair result in light of all the Section 25 factors? And the judge concluded that it did. So wife tried to argue that it was unenforceable when it was signed. She didn't consider it fair at the time. And there was forensic analysis of um, her lawyer's case file. And the lawyer was complimented personally in terms of the advice that she had provided. Um, And her solicitors, wife's solicitors, had asked for wife to sign an indemnity, effectively evidencing that even though this was pre-Radmacher, the, I mean, the general trend was pointing towards um, independent couples' autonomy being respected. And that's something that we've seen increasingly affirmed in case law. So there was evidence that the prenup should be considered reasonable. Wife solicitors were very convincing, and they felt that it would absolutely be upheld. Um, and they proved correct it was in full. So Moore Jay also noted that if the sharing principle had provided for greater settlement, W, so wife, would have benefited from that. And also noted that the sunset provision and that fall away clause after 24 years, they're all hallmarks of fairness. So the judge determined that it was a very well considered prenup. Um, it had been comprehensively negotiated and made that point that no wedding, no prenup isn't undue pressure. There wasn't any coercive control here, there wasn't any financial abuse. And this really gives us pause for thought in terms of when we're negotiating those prenups, they will be upheld if those qualifying criteria have been met, or at least a great deal of weight will be placed on them if the appropriate factors have been met. And it provided for a fair outcome when it was entered into and a fair outcome at the end of the marriage.
0: Thank you, Ella. That was extremely helpful. This case is quite remarkable, I think, because the wife tried her best, didn't she, to push coercive control? Um, Absolutely. All with the judge.
1: Uh, That's it. It wasn't going anywhere. The coercive control allegations here, and I think this is interesting in terms of various family lawyers have speculated that we're just waiting for that prenup case, where even if all the prenup criteria are met, and it looks like the fairest document on entry and exit, there is an an upheld coercive control argument what happens in that instance and as far as I'm aware and please correct me if I'm wrong Natasha I don't know of a reported case where we've had that coercive control finding.
0: No there aren't there aren't any and um, I've had some meetings on other cases of late where we've seen leading counsel and they've had to bear the, the bad news to clients that there has yet to be any sort of conduct case, even if you're without a prenup and you're going down the standard financial remedies route post-divorce, of it being um, a case of penalization of a party for bad conduct through coercive control, it's just not happened yet in the financial remedies court. So I think that the judges are reluctant to do that. Um, however, there is a case, though, Ella, that you've also Will be summarising, which which does look at one of the the factors that's crucial as you summarise through a prenup or postnup to be upheld, being that they've had three um, uh, independent legal advice, um, and they both had separately full disclosure, no undue pressure, and that it's generally speaking, if it's a prenup, that it's entered into 28 days beforehand, and that's the case uh, where there was non-disclosure. And that did work against the husband in the end, didn't it? And that's the case of, um, bear with me one second, Cummings and Bourne, isn't it?
1: That's the case, Natasha. So that's an interesting one in terms of Mostyn's um, comments with regard to predicament of real need. Obviously, that being one of the factors, if it was unfair on exit of the marriage, if it left, if the prenup left one party in a predicament of real need, um, would that mean that it wouldn't be upheld? And in terms of the interpretation there, it, it has been an interesting one. Um, but Mostyn gave us a quote... Um, much greater in terms of bookends, um, but saying effectively that if you lead a very Spartan lifestyle, then it doesn't necessarily mean that that is predicament, a real need. So I think that is a wake-up call for a lot of people in terms of thinking that they would be able to rely on um, the fact that they aren't going to necessarily be able to enjoy the comfortable lifestyle that they had before.
0: And that's contrasted with another case that's recent on prenups, HD and WB, where they tried to look at the predicament of real need,
1: but that was said to be dependent on the circumstances of the case. Um, Absolutely. And that's an interesting case in itself. Again, a 2023 case. So yeah, judgments are coming thick and fast in terms of um, the independence of autonomous couples should be respected. And if these documents are going to be entered into, then it's not for the judiciary or the court to intervene and be paternalistic in their application of the Matrimonial Causes Act. This is quite a glamorous case in terms of we had a sports couple. They are the same age. They were both 46 when the marriage broke up and they had three children. Interestingly, they'd been engaged for 10 years. Um, so it they, again, married pre-Radmacher. Um, They got engaged in 2003, and I understand they entered into the prenuptial agreement in July 2014. And this was actually on the day of the wedding. So when we touched earlier in terms of will the vitiating factors, will any one of those mean that a prenup is fatal? That is not the case. And this involved an interesting set of facts in terms of wife had had a serious I think head injury in April of 2014 so just a few months before the wedding she made a full recovery fortunately but When the prenup was being negotiated, sister actually had to step into her shoes and effectively negotiate the prenup with husband. And the judgment is an interesting one in terms of it looks into how the prenup was drafted. And I mean, forensic detail is the opportune word. It looks at how many minutes the prenup was edited for by which parties and which computers and the location of those computers. So, it really drilled down into the detail of how this document was put in place. And one of the aspects the judge was focused on was did husband receive legal advice because he was trying to run that argument of, well, sorry, everyone, but I didn't actually get advice from a solicitor. So shouldn't be held this prenup. Now, when you look at the prenup, it includes a reference to a solicitor that he had previously consulted in terms of conveyancing law. So, Again, they looked at the file for the prenup and it could be seen that husband had been in contact with a solicitor at that firm in reference to a prenup. And even though advice had been very limited and the solicitor said that they hadn't given husband advice, there was evidence that they had arranged calls and they had spoken um, in general detail about the effect of a prenup. So sister, as I mentioned, stepped forward when her sister, the bride, was injured, and she was relying on sister's prenup. So because both sisters had effectively comparable financial situations, and they were the financially dominant party, so at the end of the marriage, wife was deemed to have approximately $43 and that was built up out of family funds. So she and sister were in similar financial situations, so sister had the bright idea of using her prenuptial agreement, which had been entered into, I think, in around 2005. And that was done and negotiated with husband, who, yes, he claimed that he was receiving legal advice that firm of solicitors was mentioned on the prenup, but he actually hadn't had that granular detail in terms of advice. But that did catch him out in terms of, yes, he tried to say that he hadn't received that um, counsel, but irrespective of that, he'd had the opportunity to Peel Jay deemed that he should have taken that opportunity um, if he had wanted to, and he couldn't hold himself out as having done so if he hadn't and the prenuptial agreement was therefore um, upheld in that case in aspects as well. So weight was placed on it.
0: Thank you, and that's very helpful as well. I think on the um, husband's case that he actually had no advice, the judge had commented that he was something wrong at times. And as you put it, they, there's full scrutiny on files. So people need to be aware if they've had a prenup done, and one of the parties on a later subsequent divorce wants to disapply it or rely on it, then that file is open to inspection. You basically are waiving legal privilege um, and confidentiality. So people have to be very careful when they make bold assertions like that. And he didn't have legal advice, that's true for the from a family lawyer, but as you say, the, the file that was opened with a different matter, showed he did get some advice from a lawyer on the consequences of a prenup, should they divorce. And the judge, I think, probably took a real disliking to him for having said otherwise. So it, it, things like that can really skew, I think, one's judgment. And, and you put yourselves into unnecessary criticism, and that can really change the way they they consider the whole case. So Always be honest, obviously, the, that's the best policy. And the judge Absolutely. did say that he had ample time to read it. And it was only eight pages, I think. It was
1: a short print up. That's it. It was a succinct prenup. And it was interesting in terms of they really went down into the details. So there was an amendment made, um, which was just before husband sent a draft of the prenup to sister. And you could see that he had updated the percentage that he held in a company, because one of the interesting factors here is that his family, although less wealthy than wife's, required him to enter into a prenup and also had required his brother's. And husband, I understand, is of German descent. And this was quite common in Germany to have such an agreement, especially to protect family businesses. But going back to his percentage of interest in the family company, he had tried to say that wife or sister had updated the amendment to say he held 33.3%. But Judge wasn't having any of it. And if you look at the amendment, it's 333 3 on the continent it's common to use a comma instead of a decimal place and again wasn't doing himself any favours.
0: No no quite Honesty really is the best policy isn't it? Um, Absolutely. And that I think summarises some of the key recent case law on prenups um, and I hope you found it very helpful. I think the key takeaway from this is that they will be upheld even if what are commonly referred to as the upholding principles are not all met so in other words the usual advice of sign the three nut 28 days before get full um, independent legal advice and go through full and frank financial disclosure and if there's no undue pressure you'll be fine um it's not the case anymore these examples show that vitiating factors um you know can be, you know, they can obviously disapply the prenup if there's non disclosure. Um, and even if you've, you know, signed it on the day of your wedding, we can see that judges are upholding the documents because it's all fact specific. Um, so if you're on the fence and you're thinking about getting a prenup, obviously, um, you know, they are documents worth considering, particularly if you're a wealthier party or if you're restructuring your wealth and you've got an independent financial advisor or accountant and you're embarking on marriage, it's it's something that you should definitely think about um, because it's more likely than not than ever now in the current climate of the way family judges are interpreting these documents that they will be upheld. Um, if you're the weaker financial party, on the contrary, as Ella summarised in MN and AN, Um, It's not um, automatically following suit that if you say, well, I didn't understand anything, that you can rely on that. So be very careful, get legal advice, even if you're not sure and you're worried about the social stigma of it. I understand that. I get a lot of calls about concerns clients have as to the shame or the 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 strange sort of negativity there still is surrounding these sorts of documents, but it's worth getting the advice, if anything, and then you can make an informed decision. So thank you, um, Ella, for um, summarising those cases and welcome to DMH Stallard. We're delighted to have you in the team. If anyone has any questions or if they wanted to perhaps read up further on any of the cases, Ella has actually done a very useful update, which is on our DMH-Stallard website on the case of MN and AN. And it also looks into the background of where prenuptial agreements started. You may find that useful. Thank you for listening. Any questions, you can get in touch with us at dmh Stallard.